McShane Bible Study Days 253 and 254, and we're starting in 2 Samuel chapters 4 through 6. I'm going to try to keep today's quick. We're, uh, we've got a birthday, we've got family coming in town, we've got two days to do. Um, so I, the verse that stood out to me in chapter 4 was uh, when, when the people brought the head of the son of Saul to him, thinking they were doing him a favor. And these were like his, these were close guys for him. Um, he says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, and goes on to say, I'm going to kill you for this. Why would you think I'd want to do this? But I love how he describes the Lord, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. In other words, now that I'm, King, you know, full king of both Judah and all Israel, I'm not going to all of a sudden start going my own way, right? I'm going to depend on the Lord. And I'm going to honor the Lord and, and those he honors. But then we see in the next chapter, 5, in chapter 5, uh, verse 8, And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let it Oh, it just talks about the water shaft. I just mentioned this because I think it's kind of cool. So Hezekiah had built that, what? How many? Wait a minute. No, Hezekiah would have come after David. So this is a different water shaft. Never mind. <laughs> we have been through a water shaft, but I, but I think the one we went through is the one Hezekiah built. It still strikes me as cool that it's probably, you know, more than 2,500 years old. <laughs> and it's this tunnel that has water in it, bringing water into the city. It's still there, and you can walk through it. It's kind of cool. Okay, where was I? We're making a tort, so I'm, I keep getting up in the middle of this. Um, uh, chapter 5. Okay. Uh, verse 23, And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear. So, he he kept, you see how, how his heart, he inquired of the Lord. He said, okay, I'm now king. Part of my, a big part of my responsibility is defending the people, right? And Philistines have attacked. So, so you think it's obvious I should go to war with them, right? Mm -hmm. But what did he do the first time? He said, should I go to war, Lord? Will you give them into my hands? And the Lord says, yes. So he does it. And then the second time, he again inquires and this time the Lord gives him strategy specifically on how he's going to give them victory, right? So it's, again, he's always inquiring of the Lord and the Lord's not only directing him, but giving him strategy in, in certain circumstances. And then they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, but they do it, in this case, they don't inquire of the Lord, mm -hmm. right? They think they've got a perfectly good way to deal with the presence of the Lord, which was encapsulated with this ark, right? That was their understanding of the presence of the Lord. They didn't fully understand that he was everywhere. Um, they looked at him as showing up in things, right? In an ephod of a priest or a, or the ark. And so, or high places, you know, things like that. So they put him on ox, oxen, right? On a cart, instead of being carried by Levites, the way that the Lord had said that the ark should be carried. And so a man dies because of it. Um, and, and then, so then, they inquire the Lord, and because it, it ends up getting stuck at some guy's house, and he's blessed from it, and then they finally bring him in. The guy's house who got, who 
Because when it got stuck at, he probably didn't want it to leave. Right, he's like, ah, oh, keep the ark here. <laughs> Lord's blessing me. <laughs> right. And next we're on 1 Corinthians 15 and 16. 15 being my favorite chapter of the book. It's an awesome mm -hmm. chapter. 16 uh, being kind of wrapping up. Um, I, but I, again, I'll be quick. Uh, starting in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So he's talking very specifically about the transformational spiritual life. Mm -hmm. We're born into the life of Adam in the flesh. Christ was the second Adam that came to do what Adam could not do. And to make a way so that we could come into the family that Adam was supposed to be the father of. But instead he corrupted his family line. And so we've become, you know, he's talking about the different glories. And he said everything has a certain glory to it. But there's, there's greater glories. And Jesus has uh, made a way for us to join him in his greater glory. Mm -hmm. That our flesh is simply a shell, a womb that makes possible the spirit to grow in us, mm -hmm. right? Just as a baby grows in a mother's womb and comes out of it, just mm -hmm. as a, uh, a grain of wheat can die and go into the ground and turn mm -hmm. into a whole, a whole plant with lots of grains of wheat, like a whole new thing, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying the life of the flesh has to die, but then it becomes the perfect place for God to grow his spirit in you. Mm -hmm. And he says, "For, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, so he had to be first. It's impossible for any of us to do this without him. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he's talking about something that will happen in the future. But you can see here, people will read this and their religious mind will automatically think it's sort of at the end, like life will go on as normal and then it'll all be over and this is like an afterlife. But it's very clear that he's talking about a progression. We're living through this progression. These things happen before the, very, the end. These are definitely end times, but that doesn't mean the world's going to be over tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now. I don't believe it will. Um... So he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So the verse before that, what has to happen? But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. There's, there's a coming in those who belong to Christ coming into the fullness of this life. See that? Uh, and then... When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every power, every authority and every power. So his kingdom has come to such a place of sovereignty that every throne we have, we've been talking about this, it's the time scripture talks about the, uh, the satanic powers, the thrones, rulers, authorities in the second heaven being thrown down to earth. Right? So this he's talking about the sons of God taking up position in places of authority here, right? Mm -hmm. So that they have they're they're wrecking havoc at this time right now in the earth. Mm -hmm. But now we see 
uh, Christ's kingdom taking hold and taking these positions of authority, right? For he must, this is 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we see a conquering here, right? I don't know how long that whole process takes, but it's clearly a process. God is clearly saying, hey, choose me, right? The world is constantly tantalizing us with things that distract us from the reality that there is major things of eternal significance happening in our world right now. And God says, do you want to be a part of it or do you want to succumb to it? Right? Succumb means sort of surrender, lose, um, be defeated by, sort of, it'd be interesting to look it up, but (laughs) it means something along those lines. Uh, 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. He's talking to Christians, right? These are Christians that move in powerful signs and wonders, right? We just talked about that the other day. They think they know God very well. They've seen, they've prayed, they've seen miracles happen. They feel like they know God very well, right? He says, you're in a drunken stupor. Does that mean they're actually drunk with alcohol? No. No, it's a, it's a phraseology that means you, you're dull. You don't realize there are massively important things going on here. Uh-huh. Right? And you're missing them because you're caught up in things of the world. Uh-huh. Right? Um, let's see. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 50. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. We just had Feast of Trumpets here uh, a couple days ago, right? Monday? Monday night, Tuesday? Um, uh, The Lord woke me up in the middle of the night for hours. I had just an amazing time. The Lord talking about this, this... New season. What's what's coming in the future? Is, um, it's a monumental time, and I, I I'm blessed. But anyways, he's talking about this trumpet, right? There's a feast of trumpets. I don't know. I'll leave that at that. <laughs> there are important things here that are often ignored. Next, we're in Ezekiel 13 and 14. And so the Lord's condemning false prophets. Mm -hmm. He's condemning the people who mix in things. Specifically, he mentions women who with magic bands. Like they're wanting to go the way of the world, witchcraft, idolatry, Mm -hmm. but still, still claim God. Right. And he says, I will have no part of it. And then in chapter 14, um, he has uh, elders of the people come to him. So you would think, well, you know, God is going to help because he's coming to them, right? God says, I want nothing to do with them because they won't get rid of their idols. Have them repent first of that and then come to me. Have them turn away from their wicked ways and then come to me. They can't come to me if they're still holding on to their wicked ways. You see that? Mm -hmm. Now they think of themselves as godly people. 
But he says, you must clean themselves out. And he says, even if Noah, Job, and Daniel were here, I would not stop my judgment from coming on this people. They must be cleansed. 22 says, but behold, some survivors will be left in it. Sons and daughters who will be brought out. Behold, when they come out to you and you see their ways and their deeds, you will be consoled for the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, for all that I have brought upon it. They will console you when you see their ways and their deeds, and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, declares the Lord God. It's a very good prophetic word for our time. He says, I will have a remnant people, but I must cleanse my house. And then we're in uh, John 14 and 15, and I just, I, I know I'm going to, I think last year when I went through John, this part of John, I probably spent 45 minutes or an hour on each chapter, and uh, I'm, I just don't have time for anything close to that right now. But I was just answering Weston's question and realized, well, I could at least be recording this. <laughs> so you asked about the vine. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. The Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. He trims. So a good branch, right? Mm-hmm. That, so we're to be branches, right? So that we produce fruit. The, the grape can, becomes wine, right? Um, but a branch, he says, if a branch doesn't bear good fruit, then it's, it's chopped off by the vine dresser, right? The father, we just talked about that in Ezekiel, right? The father has no use for people trying to be a part of his vine, his garden, that don't bear his fruit. So he will chop them off and get rid of them. Right? People, a lot of Christians, and this is the same sort of thing Israelites thought thousands of years ago. You can see that they were thinking the same thing. Christians today will think, well, the God of the Old Testament was was a, a stern God, but now God's all lovey-dovey and he just wants us all to live our worldly lives. But that's not what it says. That's a made-up religion. That, that makes our flesh happy, right? He says, if a branch does not bear fruit, it will be cut off. It'll be thrown away in the fire, right? He said, but other branches are pruned. Well, it hurts to be pruned, right? It means you're cut, but it helps you to grow more, right? So this is, this is the metaphor he's using. Uh, chapter 14, I think I highlighted just uh, one section, 22 on. So Judah says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Like, how can this be? He didn't understand that there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual transformation that happens in a person. He's still expecting God to come in this mighty outward way. Again, common today, Right? Eventually that will happen, mm-hmm. right? But if we're waiting around for that to happen, we're missing what God's actually doing, mm-hmm. right? Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. So if we love, we keep his word. The next chapter says abide in him, live our lives in him. That means daily, hourly. Where do we exist? In him, right? Mm-hmm then we're coming outside of our fleshly life into his spiritual life. He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So now we have the full glory, wisdom, power, life of God in us. Whoever does not love me 
does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He says, so if you're not actually abiding, living your life in me, then, then we're not in you, and you're not, you're not living this kingdom life. Right? Um, okay, I think I highlighted something in 15 also. 16, 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So again, I, we kind of talked about this fruit metaphor and abiding in him. And, and I'm going to end that there. Do you have anything else? Um, no. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you in this in this high holy season. Uh, we've, we've passed the first of the three major holidays of this holy season, and uh, I pray that the Lord blesses you in it.